Thank you, Minister. That concludes uh, general questions. Um, the next item of business is First Minister's questions, and I call question number one, Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. And can I begin by putting on record my party's condolences to the family and friends of the late Alistair Darling. The former Chancellor played an essential role both in steering the country through the financial crash and the Better Together campaign. He was a true titan of Scottish and UK politics, and I think the warm responses from across the political spectrum is testament to the high regard in which he was held. And our thoughts are with his wife Margaret, his children Callum and Anna, and his many friends across politics, particularly in Scottish Labour at this difficult time. The OECD's PISA publication is one of the most respected inter international studies of education systems. This week, they reported that Scotland's results have declined to record lows. The 2023 study shows the worst ever performance in maths, science and reading. What does Hamza Youssef have to say to the generation of young Scots that have been failed by the SNP? First Minister. Officer, before I do answer the question, this is also the first opportunity for me to do so in this chamber. Can I also pay tribute to Lord Darling? Alistair Darling was a dedicated public servant, a giant of Scottish and uh, UK uh, politics. In my last interaction with Alistair Darling, Darling just uh, a couple of months ago, we uh, ran into each other in Edinburgh Airport and he took the opportunity to seek me out, to congratulate me the role that I'm in and to say that if ever, uh, they, if ever he, uh, I wanted a, a brief and even discreet conversation uh, or advice, then he was always on the other end of a telephone. I think for somebody who's in a different political party, uh, that shows the mark, it shows the integrity uh, of the individual. So he will be hugely missed uh, from our, our public life. Uh, my thoughts, and certainly I know the thoughts of the entire chamber, are with his, with his wife, Margaret, his, his children, his family, his, our Labour colleagues, but indeed anybody uh, that had any association with Alistair Darling undoubtedly uh, will be uh, missing him. So I hope all of those who do grieve his loss uh, can take some comfort from the many, many tributes that have poured in uh, over the last uh, week. In relation to the substance uh, of uh, the question uh, that Douglas Ross asks, let me put it on record and let me be absolutely explicit about it that we do not dismiss, I do not dismiss, nor take lightly the PISA results that have been released this week. We are reflecting on a poor set of results and the Education Secretary will make a statement next week uh, on the very issues of literacy and numeracy and what our response is uh, to improving uh, those outcomes. Uh, there is no doubt, of course, as the OECD makes it clear in the publication that COVID has had an impact. Uh, the OECD described it as their COVID edition. And that's why 40 countries uh, out of, uh, so that's why 30 out of the 40 countries uh, saw their results go down uh, in maths. And it's why across all three categories of reading, uh, maths and, and science, every nation in the UK, including Scotland, saw uh, reductions in their scores. So these uh, results will, of course, be carefully considered. They are a poor set uh, of results. But I do have to say, presiding officer, uh, that some of the commentary around Scottish education from this one set of results is, I think, unfair. Uh, let's look at the holistic picture, uh, not just one data set. And what we see, of course, is that investment in education per pupil is higher in Scotland than it is in England and Wales. And as a result of that investment, we've seen 94.3% of 16 to 90-year-olds in employment, education or training. 
That's a record number. So to suggest that from one set of results that the education system is failing, as Douglas Ross is doing, is simply not true. And frankly, it's an insult to the brilliant job our teachers do. Douglas Ross. It's an insult for the First Minister to say he is reflecting on this poor set of results when the PISA figures have been going down throughout the SNP's time in office. Scores have fallen year on year in maths and science since the SNP took over, and reading is at a record low. And there is no surprise, I believe, in this chamber or anywhere else to hear the First Minister reach for COVID as the excuse. This was a global pandemic. This was a global pandemic. We know that countries in East Asia where the pandemic began are outperforming Scotland's education system. Lindsay Patterson said this, Professor Lindsay Patterson of the University of Edinburgh, COVID isn't solely responsible for this crisis, although ministers and education chiefs are determined to scapegoat it that way. And let's be very clear. The Scottish education system was once amongst the best in the world. But after 16 years of the SNP being in power, Scotland now ranks below Latvia for science, behind Estonia in reading, behind Lithuania in maths. So will Hamza Yusuf finally admit that the SNP's record on schools is a national disgrace? First Minister. Officer, I don't uh, accept that. But Douglas Ross, uh, deliberately of course, is not listening to my previous response. I am accepting that the PISA results were not good enough, even considering the impact of the pandemic. And the impact of the pandemic is not something that I'm using as an excuse. It literally is said the OECD literally described the results as their COVID edition. That came from the OECD, not from the Scottish Government. So the Education Secretary will uh, stand here next week. She will give details of what we're doing to improve literacy and numeracy. However, to suggest our entire education system is completely failing is simply untrue. Let's look at the holistic picture. And Douglas Ross and the Conservatives don't want to listen because, of course, it is an inconvenient truth for them. Last year's ACEL results showed the big biggest single-year fall in attainment gap in primary school in both numeracy and literacy. This summer, we had the highest ever number of passes at National 5 in an exam year since the qualification was introduced in 2014. They really don't want to listen to this because it goes against their narrative about Scottish education. Higher and advanced higher passes rates were above those seen pre-pandemic in 2019. We now have a record number of young people age 19 and under, who have secured a university place this year, and more, of course, from areas of higher deprivation. And as I said, 94.3% of 16 to 90-year-olds participating in employment, education or training. Uh, this data, those facts, tell us of an education system and a record under this SNP of an education system that is supporting our young people presenting office. I'm going to need shorter answers as questions. Douglas Roy. The First Minister keeps going back to COVID, so let's just see what the director of the PISA study said. He said that OECD made it clear that attainment was declining long before COVID, and PISA studies throughout the year show that here uh, in Scotland. And Hamza Yusuf needs to accept the extent of his government's failure and examine why this has happened. Many factors will have contributed to this decline. But it cannot be a coincidence that it has taken place during the disastrous implementation of Curriculum for Excellence and its aftermath. Yeah. 
not, not my words, but the words of Dr Keir Bloomer, one of the architects of Curriculum for Excellence itself. The SNP's flawed plans have cost Scotland its international reputation for excellence in education. They made schools less about learning. The SNP's curriculum doesn't value knowledge. They tried to save it with mountains of bureaucracy and only made it worse. Isn't it time to accept, after the worst ever school results, that the SNP's curriculum needs to be scrapped? First Minister. Well, can I, I just remind uh, Douglas Ross, of course, that some of the challenges we saw predate curriculum for excellence. And as I said, we are taking the PISA results extremely seriously. That's why the Education Secretary has committed to a ministerial statement in this chamber next week to give details on the action that we'll take on numerously and literacy. Let me just remind Douglas Ross that it was, of course, Liz Smith, uh, who is in uh, his uh, front bench, who said that the Tory, she was the Tory education spokesman, spokesperson at the time. She said, I want to start the Scottish Conservatives' contribution to the debate with an unequivocal declaration of support for the curriculum for excellence. Uh, she also said more recently in 2018 that, and I quote again, throughout all the interviews and consultations we undertook, there was general agreement that the principles which underpin curriculum for excellence, of which, they are, which, uh, which were agreed unanimously by Scotland's political parties, are sound. And, more, and, and, and again, recently in March 2020, Jamie Green, the then Tory education spokesman said, and I quote, the Conservatives will support the Scottish Government, especially in the current climate, in delivering curriculum for excellence and improving outcomes for Scotland's young people. So the Conservatives have supported curriculum uh, for excellence. They have done so, of course, because of the statistics that I have read, which show that curriculum for excellence is working for young people. So what I would say to Douglas Ross is we will continue to invest in the education. That's an investment which per pupil is higher than in England and Wales. And we'll make sure that we have an education system that supports good outcomes for our young people as opposed to knee-jerk reactions from the Conservatives and, of course, a cut to our public services by the UK Thank Conservative government. I am going to have to require briefer responses as well as questions. Douglas Ross. I can't believe the First Minister is standing here defending Scottish education in the week that the results have shown standards to be at their worst ever level. And he has quoted what the Scottish Conservatives have said in the past about curriculum for excellence. But what he hasn't quoted is the problems with the implementation, which is on the SNP's watch. That's why Dr Keir Bloomer said the disastrous implementation of curriculum for excellence is the problem, and that lays uh, at the hands of the SNP. Now, let's look at another quote from John Jerome, the Professor of Education at UCL. He said this this week, I think parents probably should be worried. Clearly, things are not going well in Scotland. Since the last PISA results, the SNP have launched reports, independent reviews, national discussions, reform boards and consultations on education, and the one thing they haven't done is fix their mess. The SNP government's own International Council of Educational Advisers have said this. The time for commissioning reviews is now over. There is a strong consensus. There is a need for action. A generation of Scots have already been failed, and another generation are being let down by the lack of leadership from Hamza Yusuf question, and Lord. the SNP. Scottish schools have plummeted down international league tables on the SNP's watch. So what urgent action is Hamza Yusuf yes. going to take now, or are parents right to be worried about the future of Scotland's First schools? Minister. 
Well, the people of Scotland can take comfort in the fact that, of course, we have an exceptionally good reputation and record in Scottish education, which has seen 94.3% of 16 to 90-year-olds in education, employment or training. That is a record high. It's not just a First Minister, but as somebody who also has uh, their child in the local uh, secondary school, I understand completely parents' concerns at the recent PISA, uh, PISA results. I'm not dismissing the fact, I'm not taking lightly by any stretch of the imagination uh, the, the, the results, and that's why the Education Secretary will stand up next week and give detail on what we're doing to prove uh, literacy and numeracy. So I've, throughout my responses, accepted that we need to improve our PISA score. But as for our, our record, presiding officer on education, we're the party that abolished tuition fees in very stark contrast to England, where students have to pay up to £9,000 a year. We have more young people in Scotland from areas of deprivation going to university than ever before. Now, the Conservatives want to heckle those young people from deprived areas down. But let me tell you more about our record, presiding officer. We have record numbers of young people going to positive destinations. We have seen the biggest single year fall in the poverty-related, yes, the poverty-related attainment gap in primary in both numeracy and literacy. And all the while we have done that, uh, presiding officer, when we have a Tory UK government that has taken a hatchet to our public services and inflicted over 13 Thank years you, of First Minister. Question two, Anas, question two, Anas Sarwa. <clears throat> presiding officer, Alistair Darling was a giant of the Labour movement, a force for good, and a man I was proud to consider a friend and a mentor. Our thoughts are with his wonderful wife Maggie, his two children and all those who knew and loved him. Alistair was dedicated to public service and improving the lives of those less fortunate, and his own life was one spent in the service of the people of Scotland and the UK. The Labour family and our country are sorely mourning his passing. Deputy Officer, this week's PISA results demonstrate 16 years of SNP government failure. It shows standards declining in maths, science and reading, and our international position falling. And this has serious consequences for Scottish children. Our education system was once the envy of the world. Now, because of this government, we lag behind. In 2012, Scotland had the highest attaining students from poorer backgrounds of all four parts of the UK. In 2022, the most deprived in Scotland were the lowest attaining in the UK. How have the SNP allowed this to happen? First Minister. Uh, can I say to Anna Sauer, as I already have in all of my responses to Douglas Ross, that we take the PISA results uh, very seriously, and that's why the Education Secretary will stand up, will make a ministerial statement on what action, practical action, we will take in relation to improve numeracy and uh, literacy. But let's just look at that point uh, around uh, literacy uh, that Anna Sawar uh, references. Um, as in 2018, Scotland's score in reading in 22 was higher than the OECD average. But Anna Sawar is right, as, as was Douglas Ross, that we have to make sure that we are not on a trajectory of decline, but on an improving uh, trajectory. Let's look at in, uh, literacy in more detail. In addition, we saw that 9.6% of students in Scotland performed at PISA level 5 or better in reading, which is defined by the OECD as top performers. That's above the OECD average of 7.2%. Scott's performance in reading amongst boys was also higher than the OECD average and higher than 26 other countries, including Norway, France, 
uh, and indeed uh, Wales. Uh, 2023 SQA pass uh, rates in higher and advanced higher English were above those in 2019. And last year's achievement of Curriculum for Excellence ACL data showed a record increase for 21-22 in the proportion of primary school pupils achieving the expected levels of literacy. So Anna Sarber, Douglas Ross and any other uh, member of this chamber has every right, of course, to question uh, those challenging, difficult uh, and poor PISA results. But please, let's not, uh, for one set of data, uh, suddenly dismiss the entirety of Scottish uh, education. That would be unfair on the excellent job, in fact, that our hard-working teachers do, but also the hard work that our pupils do day in and day out. I do need briefer responses. Anna Sauer. Our pupils and teachers are doing a great job. They're just being failed by this pathetic SNP government. That's the problem. And we do have, we do have a trajectory of decline if you look at the bar charts in that PISA study. I, I mentioned the, the stats in 2012 and 2022. That was an analysis of the PISA results by the Professor of Education, Lindsay Patterson, at the University of Edinburgh. But somehow, Hamza Yusuf thinks he knows better than the Professor of Education. He went on to say that when it comes to maths and reading, these gaps are growing. So despite the Scottish policy attention on narrowing inequality, the actual gap is getting worse. Across Scotland, our children and teachers are working flat out, but they are being failed by this SNP government. Now, vital support for pupils is absent and the situation is getting worse. To close the attainment gap and improve the PISA rankings, we must give every student and every pupil the support they need. So can the First Minister tell us, has the number of teachers for children with additional support needs increased or decreased? First Minister. Well, I don't have uh, that figure uh, right uh, to hand. When I look at the government, uh, when I look at the investment that we've made uh, in teachers, even in the face of over a decade, of UK austerity. In Scotland, we have the most teachers per pupil in the UK. We have 7,573 teachers per 100,000 pupils in Scotland. Uh, that's more than the 5,684 in Labour-run Wales, and it's more than the 5,723 in the Conservative-run uh, England. And we have, of course, not only that, uh, a high number of uh, teachers per 100,000 pupils. We have the best paid teachers anywhere in the UK. This is a government which absolutely values our teaching profession. We have chosen to invest in our teachers. What I would say to Anna Sawar is that when I look uh, at uh, our, our scores in comparison uh, to the Welsh Government, that shows, of course, that these issues are affecting every single government right across the UK, uh, the UK and across the world. That is why it is called a global pandemic. So we are investing in our teachers, we are investing in the education system, all against, of course, the backdrop of 13 years of austerity. Anna Sawa. Ask a really simple question about additional support needs. The number of children identified with additional support needs has risen from just over 36,500 in 2007 to over 240,000 now. But in this same period, the number of ASN teachers has fallen by over 200, leaving many children without the level of support they need. Now, this SNP government's record on education is a litany of broken promises, closing the attainment gap promise broken, guaranteeing class sizes of 18 or under, promise broken, free school meals for all primary school pupils, promise broken, a digital device for every pupil, promise broken. Year after year, the SNP make promises to Scotland's children, but year after year, they fail to deliver. And after 16 years, there's no one else to blame. So will the First Minister apologise 
to the people of Scotland for destroying our once world-leading education system. First Minister. Presiding officer, that is exactly the type of hyperbole that I was warning members in this chamber about, because we have one set of data, one set of data, which of course is concerning, and I accept that uh, from the opposition. But he asks, Anasawar asks, will I apologise? I will not apologise for ACL results that show the biggest single year fall in the attainment gap in primary schools in both numeracy and literacy. No, I won't apologise for the fact that we have more children, more young people from areas of deprivation going to university. No, I won't apologise for a record number of young people aged 19 who have now secured a university place this year. No, I won't apologise for the 94.3% of 16 to 19-year-olds that were participating in employment, education or training over the past year. So yes, there are challenges. Yes, the PISA results are serious and we will reflect on that, consider those results and come forward next week with more detail on the action we will take. But because of this government's actions, because of the SNP government's actions, we have more young people going into positive destinations before and that's not something that I'm going to apologise for. Question three, Alex Cole Hamilton. Thank you, uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. And can I, on behalf of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, express our profound regret at the loss of Alistair Darling, a giant of Edinburgh politics, both feared and respected by politicians of all parties, um, and pass on our condolences to his family and the Labour Party today. Can I also wish all those celebrating it a happy Hanukkah and remind the Chamber that my wife is a serving primary school teacher to ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet. First Minister. Uh, can I say it's great to see Alice Hamilton in the Holyrood Chamber, presiding officer of the Cabinet. We'll meet later today. Alex Hamilton. Reply. Uh, presiding officer, Scotland's place in the we this week's international education rankings is the worst on record, and the SNP are squandering the once proud global advantage that Scotland held in education. What that means is that the high wage, high skilled jobs of the future will go elsewhere if we get left behind. Education is half of what councils do, but this government is pushing them towards the brink of bankruptcy. And we've just heard that every promise made, class sizes, laptops, the attainment gap, you name it, the SNP have broken it. And there are young people leaving school this year who have only ever lived under the SNP. So here is a maths problem for the First Minister that will reveal the full extent of the trajectory of de decline that he describes. In the education rankings the year before the SNP, came to power, Scotland was awarded 506 points. This year, it was awarded 407, which is better. First Minister. Uh, to be lectured on education by the political party that broke their promise to abolish tuition fees is quite something, uh, presiding officer. And uh, if, 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 he, if he wants some maths, that might be the reason why he has a rump of MSPs that are sitting behind him, because people in Scotland have not forgotten the broken promises of the Liberal Democrats on education. Their disastrous decision to line up, to go into bed, to make sure that they stood side by side with the Conservatives is what ushered in over 13 years of austerity. And despite that 13 years of austerity, we have more young people in positive destinations. We have more young people from areas of higher deprivation 
going to university, more young people going uh, to university. We have made progress in the face of 30 and a half years of austerity. No thanks to Conservatives, certainly no thanks to Liberal Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Question for Claire Adamson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to ensure that its recent Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Campaign is reaching deprived and marginalised communities in light of Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week this week. First Minister. The Scottish Government is absolutely committed to supporting people living with Crohn's and Colitis through Scotland to receive the health care that they need. At the end of March, we ran an awareness campaign to complement Crohn's and Colitis UK's early diagnosis campaign. But we understand the importance of ensuring that people from deprived and marginalised communities can access the support and the care that they need. Our campaign put posters in community buildings, pharmacies, right across Scotland to reach as many people as possible who may not have access to government communication channels such as NHS Inform. We also shared our learning from our COVID-19 vaccination programme about reaching marginalised and seldom heard groups with Crohn's and Colitis UK to help them to, to reach those very groups uh, with their own campaign. Claire Adamson. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Delays to diagnosis affect people's ability to continue in education and work and limits treatment options and increases their risk of being hospitalised or needing emergency surgery. Recognising the symptoms of lower gastrointestinal conditions, which are stigmatised and widely misunderstood, is crucial. What action will the Scotch, Scottish Government take to improve symptom awareness for Crohn's and colitis and reduce the stigma so that people feel confident in seeking advice and treatment when they have symptoms? First Minister. Can I thank Claire Adamson for raising such an important uh, issue and I think getting to the very nub uh, of the issues that those who suffer with Crohn's and colitis uh, often uh, report. An early diagnosis of Crohn's and colitis is vitally important and awareness and reducing stigma are vital in helping people feel confident to seek advice and treatment. In addition to the awareness campaign we ran uh, earlier this year, which I gave detail of uh, in response to uh, Claire Adamson's first question, we have also worked with Crohn's and Colitis UK and clinicians to update the Crohn's disease and ulcerative ulcer, uh, ulcer, uh, colitis pages on NHS uh, Inform. We provided funding to improve uh, inflammatory bowel disease care for patients right across Scotland in partnership with people with lived experience and, of course, our uh, colleagues uh, in the third sector. So we'll continue to support Crohn's and Colitis UK to raise awareness of these conditions, and we're very grateful to the charity for their continued work in this area. Question five, Brian Whittle. Uh, thank you, presenting officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to address the impacts of obesity and excess, excess weight on the Scottish economy and NHS. First Minister. Preventing obesity and supporting individuals to have a healthy weight remains a public health priority. This financial year, we have provided core funding of over £8 million to health boards to deliver adult children and young people's weight management services. This is in addition to providing annual funding for health boards for obesity reduction and type 2 diabetes risk management through effective prevention and weight management interventions. Our diet and healthy weight delivery plan has a focus on prevention, including our commitment, of course, to legislate to restrict the promotion of less healthy food and drink. Engagement is currently underway and will be consulting on the details of the proposed regulations in early uh, 2024. Good health 
of course, is essential to productive work uh, and our economy. And as part of that, we are currently reviewing our health and work strategy. Brian Whittle. Can I thank the First Minister for that answer? But Scotland has long had a reputation as one of the most obese and unhealthy nations in Europe. As numerous studies, including one this week by Henry Dimbleby, has shown, obesity, excess weight and related conditions has a profound cost to both our economy and our health service. Billions of pounds lost in productivity and treating preventable conditions associated with excess weight. At the same time, we are seeing sports facilities across Scotland, from local swimming pools and ice rinks to athletics facilities and hockey pitches, falling victim to closures and cost-cutting. Moreover, access to school sport and activity is continuing to decline. Does the First Minister agree with me that by failing to invest in community sports facilities and increasing access to those sports facilities, our economy and NHS face paying a high price? And will he commit to doing more to protect these vital assets? First Minister. Officer, uh, can I thank Brian Whittle for what is a very important uh, question indeed, and I recognise that it's an issue that uh, he has raised repeatedly uh, in his time as a member of the Scottish uh, Parliament. Uh, of course, he is right uh, in relation to uh, the various issues that affect uh, obesity. That includes uh, physical activity. Uh, we should also say, of course, that there are, uh, there are social determinants such as poverty, which also play uh, a key role. So I can write, uh, we'll make sure that the Health Secretary writes, of course, to Brian Whittle uh, with the detail of the action that we're taking, but I would make this final point, of course, that we just had an autumn statement uh, last week uh, from the UK uh, government, and uh, they chose, of course, to prioritise tax cuts for the likes of politicians yeah. uh, and, indeed, for the wealthy, as opposed to giving money to public services. So any influence that Brian Whittle can have whatsoever on his UK government, colleagues, I would suggest that they put money towards our public services uh, as opposed to tax cuts for the wealthy. Carol Mochan. Carol Mochan. Thank you, President Officer. Midwives are telling me that obesity and closely linked diabetes trends are creating a more complex workload and demanding greater expertise to ensure mothers are provided with the best possible care. Does the First Minister agree with me that any action the Scottish Government is taking to address the impact of obesity on the NHS must include the experience and expertise of frontline workers, such as midwives, who will be able to contribute to the development of strategy and its subsequent delivery? First Minister. Yes, I do agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I think Carol Moore can make some incredibly important points, and uh, I don't disagree. Uh, with any of them, and that's why I mentioned in my initial response that we have provided uh, core funding of 8.25 million to health boards in 23-24 to deliver adult children and young people's uh, weight management services in line with our national standards and the type 2 diabetes prevention framework. And we want to continue that investment in the National Health Service. Of course, uh, the Finance Secretary will stand up later this month uh, to give details of our budget. And without giving uh, the detail of that uh, away, uh, of course, the member will be aware that for next year, we've received less than £11 million in consequentials from the UK government because they've chosen to prioritise tax cuts for the likes of Douglas Ross uh, and uh, others. So what I would say to Carol Mocken is we're going to have to make very, very difficult choices in terms of our budget, but I can give you an absolute guarantee that funding the NHS will be our top priority. Question six, Katie Clark. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will outline any plans it has for freedom of information reform in the current parliamentary session. First Minister. Mr. Officer, we do have plans. The Scottish Government announced plans last week to consult on extending freedom of information laws to private and third sector social care providers once the National Care Service Bill is completed. This would be a highly significant extension of FOI rights 
bringing hundreds more organisations within scope of the legislation, and it follows our access to information rights in the Scotland consultation earlier this year. Working with the Scottish Information Commissioner, we will also update the statutory guidance issued by ministers on best practice for Scottish public authorities. Scotland has rigorous FOI legislation. It's more robust than the legislation that exists in the rest of Great Britain and ensures accountability and transparency around decision-making processes. So far this year alone, around 4,500 FOIs have been answered by this government. Katie Clark. This morning, I lodged my final proposal for a Members' Bill to reform freedom of information and to extend freedom of information to private companies and others delivering public services, not just in the care sector. The Scottish Information Commissioner, previous Scottish Information Commissioners and this Parliament's Audit Committee have all called for such legislative reform. Will the First Minister look at this issue again and does he agree with me that public information rights should follow the public pound? First Minister. I absolutely agree with the premise of uh, Katie Clark's uh, points, and I note that she says that she has published uh, the consultation of the, the, of the bill uh, today, or forgive me, published the, the detail of the bill uh, today. So I will uh, take a look at that, and of course we will do so uh, with uh, an open mind. In terms of our own uh, performance on, on, on FOI, uh, we absolutely accepted the recommendations of the former Commissioner in relation to their update on our FOI performance. And we welcome the former Commissioner's view that the Scottish Government is on track and close to concluding uh, a period of heightened focus on FOI performance. The average response rate of 97 per cent comes despite the request numbers increasing by 60 per cent since 2019 to almost 5,000 uh, a year. And that significantly exceeds the performance of the UK Government, which responded to only 83 per cent uh, of requests within 20 days. So we have uh, a good uh, record in terms of responding and the rate of that response to FOIs. And of course, we'll look closely at Katie Clark's bill. Supplementary, John Mason. Yeah, thank you. The First Minister mentions the increase in the number of requests. Can you give us the actual numbers that uh, they were at the introduction of the legislation and what they are now and, and any comparable costs? And does he think there's any abuse of the system going on? First Minister. Um, I'm not able to provide a uh, figure since the time legislation was introduced, but I can confirm that in the first full year for which we do have figures, 2018, we handled uh, 3,300 requests. In 2022, we responded to over 4,600 uh, requests. So there's no doubt uh, that this does place, of course, a significant demand uh, on resources, but we are fully committed uh, to complying with our obligations uh, under uh, the Act. And I just reference that point. Again, our average response rate of 97 per cent comes despite those requests increasing, and that is uh, in stark contrast and quite a considerable uh, significant improvement, but in stark contrast to uh, the UK Government's record of responding to 83 per cent of requests within 20 days. With the constituency in general supplementaries, first Claire Hawley. Thank you, President Officer. This week, the Home Secretary unveiled a raft of right-wing policies aimed at driving down immigration stats. Under the plans, people on health and care visas will no longer be able to bring their family to the UK and they have hiked the salary threshold for skilled workers to £38,700. Shockingly, there has been no objection to these Tory proposals from Labour and they have failed to commit to reversing them, despite the impact the policies would have on the Scottish economy and the NHS and social care sectors. 
Does the First Minister agree with me that, unlike Labour and the Tories, this Scottish Government will never shy away from welcoming and valuing the contribution immigrants make to Scotland? First Minister. I, I, I really do agree strongly with Claire Hockey. It's a, it's a real dark day for the UK, a country that once welcomed many immigrants, including my grandfather, to the country. In fact, they begged them to come and others to come to work in their factories, to drive the buses, due to the labour shortages that were seen at that time. And what successive UK governments have done, Labour and Conservative, is that they have bit by bit dismantled our immigration and indeed our asylum processes. On, on immigration, the latest announcements mean that we are asking, the UK government is asking migrants to come here to look after our own family members, but doing so by abandoning their own family members back home. On asylum, the UK government has virtually eliminated uh, any practical legal route for those that are fleeing war and persecution. So the policies of the UK government uh, in this respect, they're not only morally repugnant, but they're economically illiterate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the SNP, the Scottish Government, uh, we of course uh, value migration. We value the importance of it to our social fabric, but also to our economy too. And let me say unequivocally that uh, in, in, in Scotland, uh, that the Scottish Government, that the SNP, we will always say that we are proud of the benefits that migrants bring to this country, and we are proud that they have chosen Scotland to be their home. Donald Cameron. The First Minister may be aware of reports today that Lawn and Islands Hospital in Oban is set to lose its only visiting consultant haematologist, meaning that mainly elderly patients will be forced to travel hundreds of miles to Glasgow as a result. The charity Blood Cancer UK said that the loss of this service could put patients at risk. So what action will the First Minister take to urgently encourage NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde to reverse this short-sighted decision? First Minister. Well, we, are, we will look into uh, the detail of that. I understand uh, from the Health Secretary that officials are already engaging uh, with uh, the Health Board. And, of course, we do have uh, a number of policies in place that help to uh, not just attract but retain uh, these important uh, health uh, workers uh, to our remote rural and island communities. Uh, in particular. So I will ensure that the Health Secretary writes to Donald Cameron with detail around the actions that we're able to take. Pauline McNeill. Thank you. This week, Police Scotland announced a voluntary redundancy scheme for civilian staff in a bid to save money. It comes after the force warned that 3,000 jobs were at risk unless it received an additional 128 million of funding and the officer numbers could drop by almost 1,500, meaning Police Scotland are saying that they may have to move to a reduced attendance model nationwide. Now, Unison this week have objected to the voluntary redundancy scheme because they warned that similar action a decade ago forced police officers to fill the roles vacated by civilian staff, and it's not the way you would want to run a police service. So I'll ask the First Minister how he intends to address the concerns raised by Unison and of Police Scotland in the budget cuts, because it's concerning that this could lead to a reduced policing service provided to the public. First Minister. Um, I, I may have misheard uh, Polly McNeill, but I thought she used the phrase uh, budget cuts in relation to the police. Uh, if she did, that would be uh, wholly incorrect. We're investing £1.45 billion in policing in 2023. 24, we also increased the resource budget by 6.3%. That's an additional uh, £80 million. Uh, pounds. So, and despite the UK government's cut to our capital budget, we've more than doubled the SPA capital budget 
since 2017, uh, 2018. In relation to the voluntary redundancy scheme, important to say, of course, that applies uh, to, uh, to police staff, not to police officers. They will be targeted to release 189 posts to balance the policing uh, workforce. My understanding is um, that the restrictions on police staff recruitment were introduced uh, from August 2023, with the exception uh, of C3 staff, that's contact, command uh, and control, um, custody and, and other business critical uh, roles. Um, so I, I would say to, to Pauline McNeill, uh, these are of course operational matters uh, for the Chief Constable. What is important for us to do in the Scottish Government is to ensure that uh, Police, Officer, that P Police Scotland uh, is uh, funded. That is why uh, we have more police officers than of course when this Government uh, took office. And crucially for the public, uh, Scotland uh, is a safer place. We have uh, recorded crime at one of its lowest levels in, over, in almost 50 years. Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, in June last year, a Dross and Harbour task force was advised that, after years of negotiation with Peel Ports, redevelopment would go out to tender on agreed designs this past summer. Now improvements that apparently were not previously deemed essential will be included, adding to interminable delays to the commencement of works. The First Minister restated his commitment to the Dross and Brodick ferry route while visiting Arne on 23 August. Can he therefore advise when it is now anticipated that work will begin and conclude on the redevelopment of Ardrossan Harbour. First Minister. Can I thank uh, Kenny Gibson, who has raised this issue on a number of occasions, and most recently, of course, when uh, I visited uh, Aaron uh, with him. And firstly, I'd like to give assurance that the Scottish Government remains committed to ensuring the Aaron ferry service is fit for the future and will continue to engage closely with the community as this work very much progresses. The business case and cost review for the Adrosan Harbour project is currently being progressed. The Minister for Transport wrote to the Adrosan Task Force recently to advise that this work is being expanded. Uh, that is in order to help determine the scope more definitively with reporting expected by February uh, next year. And I fully appreciate this will be uh, disappointing news. However, it is essential that the scope of the work is clearly defined in order to have greater certainty of the project costs and the financial package required for each of the funding partners to deliver an improved service for the Aran community. I know the Transport Minister would be more than happy to meet with Kenny Gibson to give, her, uh, to give him uh, further details. Alexander Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The 30-bed ward at Forth Valley Royal Hospital, which is part of the new National Treatment Centre aimed at increasing capacity for operations, has been delayed after NHS troubleshooters found problems with a construction project which could compromise patient safety. The review of NHS Scotland assured found ventilation, fire safety and flooding concerns with the project. First Minister, have no lessons been learned from following problems at other facilities? So what action is the Scottish Government taking to rectify this situation? First Minister. I would say to Alexander Stewart, he has, of course, a right to, to raise these issues of concern for the local uh, community. But, of course, the, the, the entire purpose of setting up NHS Assure was to make sure that we identified these yeah. issues and that, of course, the Health Board was then able to take uh, remedial uh, action. So I understand the Forth Valley uh, uh, Health Board are, of course, uh, now taking uh, the action. Uh, I'm pleased that NHS Assure was able to identify these issues uh, at this stage. Uh, and, of course, the contractor, uh, Forth Valley, uh, are working with the contractor in order to make the improvements uh, that are required. Monica Lennon. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Rape crisis centres are trusted emergency services and should be funded as such. However, more than 800 survivors of rape and sexual assault are stuck on waiting lists. And if that isn't shocking enough, 28 rape crisis workers face redundancy in the new year, 
unless the Scottish Government extends emergency waiting list funding beyond March 2024. Survivors can't wait, so will the First Minister agree to take immediate action to save these jobs, reduce the waiting times and commit to long-term sustainable funding for rape crisis centres across Scotland? First Minister. I thank uh, Monica Lennon for raising uh, such an important uh, issue and uh, I, I hope uh, she will take it uh, as read that this government uh, and I particularly value the excellent work that Rape Crisis Scotland uh, do and have done over many, many years. Uh, their frontline, the frontline services that they provide are absolutely crucial, which is why we are investing record levels of funding uh, to support them. This includes over £5 million for the Rape Crisis Network through our annual £19 million delivering equally safe fund. I am aware of and acknowledge the concerns about the 100 days money ending in March 2024 and the potential impact uh, it has on services. So we are currently considering our budget, of course, for the next financial year during a particularly challenging financial time, uh, time in the context of a, a really damaging UK Government autumn statement. But I can give Monica Lennon and those in Rape Crisis Scotland uh, an assurance, I hope a reassurance, uh, that the issues in relation to Rape Crisis Scotland uh, are ones that we are considering in relation to the budget. Annie Ann Burgess. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Yesterday, Highland Council granted planning consent for a golf course on Coal Links, an internationally recognised Ramsar site and a site of special scientific interest. And this was despite an objection from Nature Scott and planning officials recommending refusal on the basis of conflict with national planning framework for policies 3, 4 and 10. Will the First Minister confirm that the decision will now be called to ministers and reaffirm the Scottish Government's commitment to respecting all international treaty obligations, including the Ramsar Convention? First Minister. Because these are, of course, uh, local decisions uh, to be made, and I won't comment on a live uh, application and uh, whether ministers will, will call it in and what that decision uh, will be. But what I would say to Ariane uh, Burgess is, of course, the issues that she uh, raises uh, in relation to the environmental impact of any planning application are uh, incredibly important, and, of course, the impact that any planning application could have on our nature uh, natural environment uh, is of the utmost importance, and I would expect local uh, government, local authorities, to take account of these matters uh, and make sure they're, they're, uh, they're, they're meeting their statutory obligations. But in terms of a live uh, application, she'll forgive me that I won't be able to comment any further. Fulton McGregor. Officer, the First Minister will have seen the UNICEF report that places the UK at the bottom of the international league table in child poverty, with the, two, with the Tory two child cap one of the biggest drivers of child poverty. What measures does the First Minister think the UK Government must take to change this woeful record to lift children out of poverty? First Minister. Well, the findings of this UNICEF report they are, they, they make for sobering reading, marking the UK amongst the, 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 the worst in relation to the world's richest countries for reducing child poverty. It's a, a shocking indictment of consecutive Westminster governments that have presided over a decade of austerity. And Scottish Government analysis estimated that reversing key UK government welfare changes that have taken place just since 2015 could lift an estimated 70,000 people, including 30,000 children, out of poverty in Scotland this year. Uh, I expect the Conservative Party to be cruel in relation and in inhumane when it comes to welfare policy. The fact that Labour are signed up to continued austerity and have ruled out scrapping the two-child cap and the rape clause simply beggars belief. It shows exactly why Scotland needs independence is set out in our latest Building a New Scotland series yesterday, so that we can have the full levers and make 
the urgent changes to a broken welfare system and build a social security system that is built on fairness, dignity and respect. And Finlay Carson. Will the First Minister join me in recognising the fantastic work done between the Scottish Government and the UK Government and also welcome the announcement as a, as a result of the Union Connectivity Review that the UK Government is providing £8 million to kickstart the development of options to improve the A75, effectively giving the green light for bypasses at Crockettford and Springholm, something that I have campaigned for decades. This is in addition uh, to funding committee to deliver targeted improvements uh, given uh, the Scottish Government's identification of preferred options. Will the First Minister ensure that progress is made at pace on these projects? First Minister. Well, my, my, my understanding is that they have committed funding uh, towards the review. What would really help, of course, is if the UK Government didn't cut our capital budget by 10% over five years, which would allow us, of course, to invest in our capital project. So Finlay Carson even had a little bit of influence with his UK Government Tory uh, colleagues, which I don't think he does, but if he did, it would be most useful for him to make the case that the UK Government stops taking a hatchet to our public services and indeed to our capital budget to our presenting officer. Thank you. That concludes uh, First Minister's question.